in the uh, humanity of his mind, <coughs> the, the Holocaust, the total burning, I mean, it was a pretty heavy, <coughs> heavy symbol, didn't it, Holocaust? Is applied now to the what happened to like a, a genocide or something like that. But it's actually religious words. It's a religious experience. Although it's like hologram or whole or a total totality, total burning, caustic. So Holocaust is. The, the holy life is a holocaust, a total burning. That's a burning up of self, ignorance. And that, that's a, like the, the diamond is a symbol, isn't it, of, of the purity that comes from a holocaust. <clears throat> Something that went through such strong fires that, and, and then what was left was this purity. And so that, that's why, why say in our life here, this, this willingness to burn away the self, the views, the, the opinions, the desires, the restlessness, the greed, the, all of it, the, the whole of it, and there's nothing but purity remaining. It's, it's the Holocaust. Then when there's purity, then there's, there's, there's no body, there's no thing, there's, there's that, the suchness. And even the English word that has a, is a similar enough to datada, to, to datta, or the datakada, or that. I am that. But leave off the I am, that, and let go of that, that, that. <laughs> more and more the path is just, just the, the simple being here and now, of being with the way things are. There's nowhere to go, nothing to do, nothing to become, nothing to get rid of. Because of the, of the Holocaust, there's nothing, there's no ignorance remaining, it's purity. What remains is, is purity, clarity, intelligence. Not views, opinions, emotions, and kinds of <clears throat> things that you you tend to attach to that all is that you've let burned away burned up so that's why in the in the, the life here is if you want to leave and and you want to go somewhere else 
and you don't like being here, or you, <coughs> or you'd rather not that maybe you don't like being here, but you'd rather be somewhere else. Fair enough. But don't go around giving it uh, kind of euphemistic excuses about going on to a higher path or fulfilling your karma or all these kind of silly ideas. What I like is honesty. I respect honesty. <coughs> and I don't, I don't, I can't bear <coughs> one who, who, who lies to themselves, deceives themselves. It's painful to see. And it's life. It's not a prison, so you're free to, to uh, stay or to go and to like the place or not like the place or to want to go to another place and go to another place. You can do that. Uh, you can, it's, it's up to you. That's your choice. But you don't expect me to to go along with your excuses, your justifications, your rationalizations. Don't try to convince me that what you're doing is, is right, or that you have to do this or whatever, because you don't have to do anything. And, and that, that there's no reason to go anywhere. It's, it's, it's here and now. <clears throat> or if you want to go somewhere else, you'd rather be somewhere else, or go and have another teacher or whatever, that's all right. I'm, I'm not, you know, that's, that's up to you. But <coughs> don't think you're going to get away with it by imposing it as some kind of higher path or fulfillment of your karma or something uh, that we should encourage you to do or go along with you or, or agree with you. It's not, it's not very nice to try to, to get us to agree with what you want to do. This is a, for the holy life, you have to be very honest with yourself. And you have to be very sensitive so that you're not, you're not, you're not causing all kinds of misunderstandings and confusions to people. We can, we affect each other very strongly, don't we, in the holy life. There's no way we can stop that, how we affect each other's minds. So that, what we do needs to be done we, we, we really try to intend to do and speak and act in a way that is is uh, impeccable and honest and right <coughs> and even if you want to go I don't want to hold you here to intimidation if you want to go and you say, I want to go, I don't want to do this, I want, or I'd rather go somewhere else, I'd rather try some other way. There's, there's honesty there, at least you're, you're, you're being honest about your, how you feel, 
So that that one can respect that as as, a, as an honest uh, request. But after all the teaching I've given on mindfulness and seeing the how things are and all that, and then come to me and expect me to go along with your views about your path and higher practice and that you understand this one already and you can go on to another one or that, that you uh, it's your karma to do something else or you expect me to, to actually believe that as some something that, that one should grasp and follow then you've missed the whole point of the teaching You've just not understood it. You say, I have the desire to go somewhere else. And I want to follow my desires. <laughs> and then to imply that what you're doing is for the welfare of all beings. And to and not at all selfish at all, but totally self-sacrificing. You know, it's, it's asking too much of any of us to, to go along with it. <clears throat> if I'm speaking harshly now, it's this is very important to, to consider, to grow in dignity and, and not in, 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 a, in a foolish way. And go, uh, and when you, when you go, go. Don't look back. Don't hang on to things. But uh, dignity and, and honesty is what we can respect, not not only kind of justifications, excuses, uh, rationalizations to justify what you're doing. Reflecting on how things are. If you just the, the mind will just say it's just that one sentence reflecting or contemplating how things are then then maybe some of you are thinking I've got to contemplate how things are so then you think oh well then you start making that into something that you have to do I've, I've done tomato told me to contemplate things as they are and then you then that's that's how you start out your meditation uh, where with mindfulness, you see that you're seeing that uh, the, even the thought and the compulsion. Ajahn Sumedho told me to contemplate things as they are, as as uh, if that's what you feel you have to do. See that as as a nicca dukkha nata. Just uh, getting up at the very beginning, the way it is from the beginning, rather than taking a position and then trying to do something uh, from a position. 
So like, that's the trouble with formal meditation, is the, the delusion of formal meditation is that it, it's always giving special conditions to the way things are, which we tend to very much attach to, the, the special conditions, identify with the special conditions. I remember when uh, the first year I had <coughs> all these special conditions when I was a monk. And I didn't have a teacher really the first year. So I had a book. And, uh, and I didn't have a, a flesh and blood teacher. A book called The Word of the Buddha. And so I, I, I just read that and contemplated those teachings over and over for months, and, and in the insights. But then what happened was I had a lot of insight, but then the, the memory of the insight was always connected to the special conditions too. So I found myself the following year when I went to Watmapong, always trying to, to get these special conditions that I had before so that I could meditate and hoping to get the insights and the bliss and all that that I had the year before under the special conditions. And, and, and the second year with Ajahn Chah, I had a terrible time. Because <laughs> I used to blame it on him and on the monastery and everything. You know, I, I want these special conditions. Uh, for, I have to have this, I have to have that for meditation. So after the Vasa with Ajahn Chah, I begged to go off to to the forest uh, to have to kind of get back to these special conditions. And he said, "Oh well, yes, go ahead. <laughs> if you got to go, you got to go." <laughs> and then, uh, then. Uh, I went off for six months to this, uh, to Pupek Mountain, a very quiet, ideal, beautiful place, uh, all, uh, uh, you know, what I dreamed of, even though it was better than the, much better than the place I was at the first year, and very remote. And uh, then I, I started doing all the things that I did the first year, but nothing worked. I try to sit for hours and I just get I just get pain and restless. A lot of mosquitoes and insects. There is a water shortage, it's hard to get water. And then the bindabots were very long, you had to go miles on bindabot to get the food. And then then there was uh, two Thai monks there, this remote place. One one I'd I'd thought was a really um, one really wise monk, and I was very eager to learn from him, but when, when he got me up on this mountain, he wanted me to teach him English. <laughs> <laughs> and so I was really angry with him. I really wanted to murder him. <laughs> and it was in an area where there were a lot of uh, terrorists and communists. In Northeast Thailand, and so then, the, then, the, then there were there were helicopters flying overhead sometimes, checking us out to see. And then, 
they came and took me down to the provincial town, wondering whether I was some kind of communist spy. And and then I <laughs> then I then I got very ill, so ill, really violently ill. They had to carry me down this mountain, and I was stuck in this in this fetid place and in this reservoir under a tin roof with all these insects buzzing in and out of my ears and orifices in the hot season with horrible food and I nearly died kind of thing of it <laughs> and they didn't make it but it was during that that time in that little uh, lean-to, tin-roof lean-to, that, that, that a real change took place. And I was, I was really, you know, I was despairing and sick and weak and, and uh, just totally depressed. And um, my mind just fall into these uh, horrible hellish realms. And then all this, this terrible discomfort of the... Uh, the heat under a tin roof, you know, you feel like you're being cooked. And uh, it's like that torture in Bridge on the River Kwai. <laughs> the Japanese put them, put them under tin, what, in little pits with tin roofs over them. <clears throat> it's about what, what was happening to me. <laughs> and, <laughs> and then a change came. Suddenly, I just stopped it. I just refused to to get caught in all that negativity, and I just started practicing samatha, just doing anapanasati, and just concentrating my mind. And and things just seemed to change very, very, very quickly. So after that, I went and I recovered my health. There was time to enter the Vasa, so I went back, I promised Ajahn Chah I'd go back to Watmapong for the Vasa. And when I went back, my robes were all patched and tattered, and really, I looked terrible. And Ajahn Chah saw me, and he just burst out into laughter. <laughs> and, uh, and he said, and I was also glad to get back to Watmapong, actually, after all that. <clears throat> when the, the attempt to try to to get all these these uh, special things like with meditation retreats and courses and all that, it, people get very attached to everything <coughs> under control, everything organized, uh, total <coughs> silence, uh, noble silence, and and uh, that then your mind is even though you do have insight, not. This, discrediting the insights that people have, the, the reflectiveness of that uh, is not always there because one is assuming that to have these insights you need those conditions where actually insight is, 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 is more and more we live insightfully. It's not like you have insight sometimes, but more and more as you reflect on Dhamma then, then just everything is insightful. It's the jnana dasana, the knowing, the seeing, uh, insightfully into life as it's happening to you without, without 
and, and as soon as you think you have, spe- have to have special conditions for it, and you're not aware of that, then you're then you're going to uh, start creating all kinds of complexities about your practice. I remember last last winter, I think uh, Venerable Vipassi was saying <coughs> in the shrine room, there was somebody in the shrine room that was making uh, kind of noises. And these noises, body noises, they were quite distracting noises. <laughs> and so, uh, so talking to Venerable Vipassi about it, I was quite impressed by his response because he said, well, first he felt annoyed and then he decided that the noises would be, would be part of the practice. So he opened the mind to, to the meditation hall with everything in it, the noises uh, and the silence and the whole thing. Well, that's, that's, that's wisdom, isn't it? It's using wisdom to, to you know, if you can't, if the noise is something you can stop, like a, a door in the wind is banging, you go close the door. Or, uh, it is something that, that one can, can, uh, has control over, then you can, you can do that. But then other times, so much of life, we have no control over it. We have no way to, to, uh, we have no right to, to ask everything to be silent from my meditation. So then the, then the banya, reflectiveness comes in of, well then instead of having a little mind that has to have total silence and special conditions, then you have a big mind that can contain the whole of it. The, the, the noises, the, the disruptions, the, the, uh, the silence, the bliss, the restlessness, the pain. The mind is, is, is all-embracing rather than, than specializing on a certain refinement in consciousness. Then you then you develop flexibility, can't you? Because you can you can concentrate your mind. There's nothing wrong with with this, as I've been explaining about samatha. To, don't think that I, if you practice samatha that you're somehow uh, being a selfish person for that. <laughs> I don't mean to imply that that anyone who does samatha ever is, is becoming, is doing it for, for selfish reasons. But uh, it's, 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 being, it's like having tools, knowing which tool is the appropriate one for the time and place. Sometimes it's, we have to be selfish, don't we? In the sense that we have to, to look after our own needs first. We can't always be uh, looking after everyone else. Sometimes when you get sick, then you have to really be selfish, in the, but not in the sense of, of, uh, of a deluded me and mine, me first, but because maybe your body needs, needs your attention rather than, go, than uh, going out and trying to help somebody else. And this is where wisdom is necessary, not just good-heartedness, as good-heartedness, maybe we, we don't want to be bothered with ourselves. We could care less. and We'd love to just go out and help everybody and set the world right and clean up the masses and heal all the sick. 
and uh, straighten everything out, tidy everything up, make everything right. <laughs> then, then the then the uh, our body oftentimes will not let us do all that we would all we think we would like to do. So that that that. They, with the metta practice, may I be well, and then then ahang sakita homi. Then it sape sata sakita hondu. May all beings be well, and that it one has to really uh, come to terms with one's own condition first, and understand that because that's the. These are the conditions you have to be with all the, the, your lifetime. These are the ones you you have you're really learning from this body, the way you are, the way your mind works, the way uh, you know the, your character. The whole lot of it is not to be despised by just going out and trying to do good in the world, but by understanding this psychophysical formation. So when you when you sit like when you go into the meditation hall and just really notice what your what your mood is what your what you tend how you tend to just like when you sit still what you feel you have to do what is it that you tend to do what the habit you've developed maybe of sitting just be not not to think you shouldn't have any habits but to just be aware of What's kind of propelling you? Now, I'm going to really do some samatha this time, and and then maybe uh, maybe the, the the conditions aren't very good for that, and you haven't noticed. You, you, you say, you know, I'm going to go over and do some samatha. About <coughs> <Bow> three times. <laughs> So you, you've got the, the you know, you, you've set yourself in motion, and then what happens? You just sit there, and maybe, you know, it, it starts getting, the windows have been left open, or the, or the, 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 uh, somebody's, uh, hoovering the coffin. <laughs> Whatever, and, and then you, then you, then you feel, I was going to do samatha this morning. I can't do it with all these interruptions, and you get carried away because you're being frustrated from from what you set your mind to do. Where mindfulness, you 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 can you get caught in vacillation, but you you're aware of of uh, appropriateness and suitability to time and place. So you're you're reflecting on the time and the place. This place is. Here, the time is now. It's like this. At this time here, in the this is the sala. It's like this. At the morning gruel. And then, then leaving here, then the chores, and then the it's like that. We do the chores. We we. I've I've been kind of uh, trying to brush up my tie. It's like we get some. 
talks in Thailand when I go, so I'm trying to brush up my Thai. And I've resisted this for years. <laughs> As I thought, I've been so dedicated to Pawana that studying has not been the kind of number one on my list. And so, it's, it's first, uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm learning, relearning the Padimokha too. So that these kind of uh, things that I've determined to do, most of the time I don't want to do actually. <laughs> when I think about them. <laughs> but the, the, um, but then when you, when you develop skillful means to enjoy it, rather than with the attitude, I've got to learn, I've got to brush up my tie, I've got to, and that kind of compulsiveness makes it into terrible chore and uh, duty, and then you, you don't feel like doing it most of the time. Once in a while you might just feel in the mood for it, and most of the time you aren't. So, so then uh, you begin to just uh, to develop an interest, say, for what it is in itself, just the, just the miracle of a voice, being able to pronounce a word, being able to pronounce a Thai word in a tone, and to repeat it again, and getting down to just the, the wonder, wonder of the moment, rather than this, this awful bondage we put ourselves into about that we have to do this now in order to become something in the future. Because even if you're learning or brushing up your tie or whatever, with that in mind, it becomes an onerous duty and is quite, you know, a very nice thing to have to do. But when you, when you, uh, just in, in with, say with Patimoka, re, re, uh, relearning the Patimoka, <coughs> so that uh, that idea doesn't, you know, isn't, uh, generally isn't something that that uh, fires me up into enthusiasm, but uh, but when I just do it and enjoy just the the, the, the ability to remember and to recite <coughs> Pali and those uh, those precepts of the Padimokha, it becomes one finds just the wonder of the, of having a retentive memory and being able to to recite words and do it for its own sake, for its own sake in, the mo- in that present moment. Makes all, it makes it rather rather nice thing to do, rather than something you've got to do because you've made a, a determination to do it, and, and if you don't, you'll feel guilty, and, uh, and then, then it becomes... All of that, when you surround your whatever you do with all of that, it, and life just becomes burdensome. <coughs> and a lot of things that are quite pleasant in themselves are no longer pleasant because we can't enjoy them when we're when we're coming from compulsiveness, heedlessness, ambition, uh, all that those kind of driving forces that destroy the joy and the wonder of our lives. So that's with with meditation. If, if you if if meditation just becomes another duty, another thing you have to do. And, uh, and 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 you feel guilty if you don't because you you've resolved to sit so many hours a day and walk so many hours a day and and then you feel guilty if you don't do and if you don't live up to your resolutions and and you're kind of pushing yourself forcing yourself 
without awareness of what you're doing. Then, of course, life does. It gets just quite quite uh, dreary and depressing for us. <clears throat> well, in this way, you say you're, you're putting into into your your life, daily life, a a uh, that kind of attention. You you find a lot, so much of of our daily life really very pleasant. So much of life here at Amravati, in its quality, is very very pleasant. Which you may not notice if you're caught in your obsessions and compulsions. At least what I see, what most of my life here is very, very pleasant. It's uh, just the, you know, the whole, the, the, the walk in the early morning and the, the, the whole, the whole routine of life in the monastery is something in itself quite a pleasant thing. Then if we, if we go at it with, with compulsiveness, then it becomes a burden, it becomes a grind. It becomes, it's just a, just another grind, the thing that we have to do, and we're just going, dragging ourselves around, doing this, doing that, in, in, uh, in heedless and negative ways. But the, say the, the, uh, being able to just uh, be in the countryside with the with the with the fields and the trees, the the people offering the food, the the good food we have, the uh, the meal really quite a lovely scene. Isn't it? The people are eating mindfully, quietly, and then the uh, the then the retreat time is extremely pleasant, where we we can go and sit or walk. We don't have a lot of work and and projects to do. And the morning chanting and evening chanting and the, the whole thing is can be it can be extremely pleasant, can be very pleasant for us, pleasing, joyful, when we're open to it, <clears throat> when we're doing it just out of uh, habit and. Uh, of, and compulsion, and then it gets to be a drag, doesn't it? The whole thing. So remember to keep your silence, and uh, to remind you to to not go around talking to each other, and uh, to to contemplate these things. And to, to really be with, say, here and now, the sound of silence, the breathing. Really develop awareness with that, that kind of awareness of just sustaining your attention in that way. And, and it, when you get carried away, get lost in thought or, or restlessness or whatever, then that's all right too, don't? Don't don't be a slave driver. Don't kind of 
beat yourself with a whip and drive yourself in, in, a, in a nasty way, but guide yourself, train in a, train in a kind of like a, a loving and gentle way, training the mind and, and leading onward and guiding yourself rather than driving yourself and forcing yourself. Because Nibbāna is a, is a subtle realization of non-grasping. And you can't make, you can't drive yourself to Nibbāna. That's the sure way of never, never realizing it. Because it's here and now, non-attachment. So if you're driving yourself to Nibbāna, you, you're always going far away from it. driving right over it. You see, the holy life, it, even though we talk about the Holocaust and the total burning, which is pretty heavy, heavy. <laughs> That's what sometimes it is, to be able to, to, to burn up thing, our attachment in our minds in our desires. It's, it's really, can be, there's tremendous anguish in it sometimes, tremendous uh, sorrow we have to go through, and, uh, and, and despair and all this, but just by that kind of patient determination to just be with it and remain and, and bear with and abide and just keep, keep in that way, in a very gentle way, and you're not trying to blow up. That's not the Holocaust, it's an atomic explosion. It's not a nuclear Holocaust. So. 